0: Brick Moon Fiction Presents Unseen Space by Kevin R. O'Hara Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. I, alone, survived. My fellow crewmates dead, all six of them. The horrific alien creature incinerated. The Edgeworth One, our deep-space exploration ship which had traveled farther into unknown space than any previous manned mission, was now crippled and slowly leaking radiation from the cracked fusion engine. I had little time remaining to figure out how to unlock the cargo bay and activate an escape pod. Things had just changed from an adrenaline-packed game of cat and mouse, where I was the terrified mouse and the cat was 12 feet tall with razor-sharp spikes all over its burly body, to a slow-paced logic puzzle, where I'm a mouse in a maze searching for the cheese. With the alien monstrosity now dead, I simply needed to grab the operating manual from Sector 2 and cross-reference the symbols Jenny found in the science lab, right before she was torn in half by the creature's powerful front claws in a spectacular display of gore. There's an image that's going to stick with me for a long time. Poor Jenny. She really thought she would be safe in the quarantine chamber of the lab. None of us realized the thing was intelligent enough to unlock the seal with its highly articulate tentacle-like feelers. With the symbols decoded, I'll punch the proper ones into the terminal at the cargo bay and this whole thing will be over. Computer, how much time do I have? A lifeless, synthetic voice slowly responded, You have twenty-four minutes until total ship contamination. I half expected to hear my crewmates say something like, You can do it, A.J. But the only sounds were from my anxious breath loudly echoing in my helmet, a faint wailing alarm coming from the aft of the ship, and the sluggish thudding of my feet. The ship had no gravity, and the magnetic boots I wore were heavy, hampering my pace to a fast walk at best. I wish it were possible to just ditch the boots and glide forward unhindered. That sure would have been less scary when the alien had been chasing me earlier and I felt like I was running through molasses. A red light flashed throughout the narrow corridor. The main lights had gone out when the thing destroyed the maintenance console with its barbed club-like tail, plunging the whole ship into eerie pulsating shadows that probably should have come with an epilepsy warning. I felt disoriented and had to retrace my steps several times. I swear this ship was intentionally set up as a maze. Luckily, I knew which side of the ship Haumea, a nearby football shaped dwarf planet, was on, so looking out the side viewports was the quickest way to figure out which direction I was headed. Finally, I saw the hatch labeled Sector 2. It had been smashed open from this side. I figured this is where Know It All Andrew must have been when the alien got him. We could hear him cursing over the com at the same time as an ear splitting, metal on metal tearing which must have been this door. Andrew shouldn't have separated from the rest of us, but I guess I should be thankful he did because the creature pursued after him and gave the rest of us time to set the engine room trap, though clearly we should have taken more time because Sumika rushed reconfiguring the plasma ports and unfortunately ended up being a guinea pig for our makeshift tripwire and flamethrower. A roasted guinea pig. I guess that was probably obvious in context. A split second of realization on her face of her failure after she pressed the wrong button was almost comical. Had she survived a moment longer, I'm certain she would have said something like, Well, I effed that up, in her droll, self-deprecating way. Hers wasn't the most pointless death, however. That honor goes to Royce. Back when we were in the crew quarters arguing about how to deal with the damages from the small comet colliding with our ship, the alien made its first appearance, scaring the hell out of us, Royce was the first to react, and ran straight for the external hatch. I thought he was a veteran of these space missions, but he must have just lost it. I mean, the massive alien was terrifying, especially when its mouth opened, revealing row after row of quivering fangs, and with how it vomited its stomach out all over Scott before devouring him whole right in front of us. It nearly made me want to expel my stomach as well. But I still don't understand why Royce would just run through the airlock, then proceed through the outer hatch to the cold void of space. You just never know how someone is going to react when they're scared, I guess. But it was not helpful, to say the least. The rest of us stood there in disbelief as the computer blandly gave us the play by play Warning Foreign life form detected. Warning Crew member X03 life signs not detected. Warning The airlock has been opened. Airlock now sealed. Warning, the outer hatch has been opened. Outer hatch now sealed. Warning, crew member X05 life signs critical. Warning, crew member X05 life signs not detected. Warning, warning system overloaded. Activating auxiliary warning alarms. That's when we all escaped to the bridge and barricaded the door behind us. Did you see what that thing did to Scott? Did you see that? Brianna, as usual, was the first to speak. We need a plan, said Andrew with instant determination, ignoring her. Where the hell did Royce go? Brianna continued, ignoring his ignoring her. He bailed. I mean off the ship. Just peaced out, Sumika said dryly. Why the hell would he do that? Brianna responded. We need a plan, Andrew repeated, then added pragmatically. Don't waste time. Everyone started yelling over each other at that point. During the chaos, I started to check the security cameras seeing empty corridor after empty room. I don't think anyone heard me when I said, help me find it. It was total cacophony with all the shouting and the ship's persistent alarm. I continued to scan the screens until I saw the six-legged hulking shape move into a room and ram an elliptical bike, crushing it like tinfoil. I waved my hands and got everyone's attention by barking. I see it. It's in the fitness center. Damn, it's ugly. We need to get off this ship, Brianna insisted. We need to kill it, Andrew said. Let's go to the armory. Are you kidding, I responded. The armory's beyond the fitness center. That would be suicide. Might as well join Royce outside. Okay, then, what about Sector 2? I happen to know that there are weapons stored there, Andrew said. No, Sumika interjected. I don't think beta rifles are going to penetrate that thing's scales. If we can get to the engine room, we can jury-rig a trap kill it with fire. That's what I say, with fire. I like that idea, said Jenny, finally adding her opinion to the group. Burn it to hell. We should go to sector two, Andrew doubled down. There are weapons, supplies, and emergency manuals. They might be important to us at some point. He was intimidating with his large frame and military haircut, but Sumika, who was barely five foot tall, just looked him directly in the eyes and said, that's dumb, Andrew. Jenny and I are going to the engine room. Brianna, AJ, what's your vote? Brianna and I looked at each other. We had a way of predicting what the other was thinking based on facial expressions alone. It came from knowing one another since elementary school. She and Sumika were the only ones I knew previously, the others I had met in the briefing room before we started on the ill-fated mission. Andrew probably had good reasons for his opinion, but I believed in Sumika's intuition when it came to solving problems. We're coming with you, I said to Sumika. Brianna nodded her head in agreement, but avoided looking at Andrew. Andrew gave us all a nasty look and walked out, saying, I'm going to Sector 2. You'll thank me later. So here I am, rummaging through Sector 2, though not in search of weapons. The incinerator trap had destroyed the alien. I just needed to find the manuals. Computer, time check. You have 21 minutes until total ship contamination. Not that i wanted to hear a happy ai voice telling me about my oncoming doom but couldn't they have made one a little less bland sounding there really should be a different level of gravitas between you are going to die in 21 minutes versus something like the door is ajar at least it didn't have a british accent sector 2 was made up of several adjacent chambers all lined with an immense variety of supplies much like supermarket this is storage for everything that would be needed to set up a long-ranged way station in the kuiper belt or whatever our original mission was supposed to be. I had expected everything to be neatly lined up and easy to access, but apparently when the alien attacked Andrew, there was a lot of collateral damage to the shelves, and now all manner of items floated about. It looked like those documentaries about garbage drifts in the ocean, trash swirling around in all directions, and it felt like I was swimming through it. The lack of gravity made it easy to brush things out of the way as I searched. It was almost fun to tap objects and watch them bounce off one another, creating a cascading effect throughout the room. It wasn't, though, as soon as I realized that the last thing I hit was not a small cargo box. It was Andrew's head, free-floating and spinning with a look of horror plastered across his face. Instinctively, I tried to grab it, I guess out of respect and not wanting to see it smack against a wall, but then I quickly backed away, my disgust winning out over any sense of concern. And then something weird happened. I felt like I bumped into someone. It could have been an object. The room was full of them. But it seemed like whomever or whatever it was intentionally pulled away at my touch, not gently bouncing away like a zero-gravity object would behave. When I turned around, there wasn't anyone or anything there. I reached about and felt nothing. For a few moments, I just stood still and surveyed the room. Nothing just the silent dance of a hundred random items. One of those items caught my eye, though. It was the manual I was seeking. I quickly leapt up and grabbed it before it floated too high. I needed to get to the cargo bay, and I wasn't going to waste any more time looking around, especially when there might be more random body parts to find. Something was bothering me about Brianna's death. I realize that's a weird statement to make. After the trap was set, and unfortunately pre-tested on Sumika... We went out in the hallway to locate the alien and try to lure it back to the engine room. It had surprised us by barreling around the corner at top speed. In addition to its many legs, it had sprouted several long spider-like appendages from its back, which clacked across the walls to give it stability in the weightless environment. Needless to say, we panicked. Jenny ran to the science center and barricaded herself in, which ultimately proved to be ineffective, while Bree and I retreated back towards the bridge. We hid there for several minutes, catching our breath, thinking. Now what do we do, Brianna finally said. Nuke it from orbit, it's the only way to be sure. I'm serious, AJ. I didn't have an answer for her. I wasn't sure how we were going to make it. I then made the mistake of looking at the monitors and saw what it was doing to Jenny. I opened my mouth to tell Brianna, but was beaten to the punch by an emotionless, droning voice. Crew member X-04, life signs not detected, said the computer. Jenny, Brianna yelped. This is our chance, I blurted out. we run back to the engine room. It will be right on us, but I think we can get there before it gets us. Whatever, let's go, she agreed, and we ran as fast as the heavy boots would allow us. Halfway there, the thing jumped out and focused all seven eyes in our direction. Immediately, it gained ground on us. I knew that I could make it through the engine room door and that it would trigger the trap when it followed, but I wasn't sure Brianna, who was now several feet behind me, was going to make it. God damn it, that hurt, she squealed, and I glanced back just in time to see her clutching her side. The creature was still a bit behind her and I couldn't see how it had managed to get her. Maybe it had yet some other long appendage or perhaps it could split its fangs. Whoever came up with this thing must have thrown every sci-fi horror monster in a blender and poured a large glass of terror. Then she buckled over, and then the creature overtook her, and then blood sprayed in all directions, bizarrely arcing and bouncing about the corridor in zero gravity. She made one last unnerving cry before being silenced. Something unusual about her last gasp continues to bother me. Crew member X06 life signs not detected. I made it to the engine room. The creature followed. It died in our trap. I alone survived. So here I was, the cargo bay door in view. In one hand I had the manual, and in the other the list of symbols that Jenny found right before she died. I was doing my best to run despite the burden of the gravity boots. I was almost to freedom. And then I slipped. I fell hard on the back of my head and probably would have suffered a concussion if not for the sturdy helmet. The headset must have been high quality because the audio and visuals didn't seem damaged at all. I sat up and looked around, confused. What the hell had I slipped on? The floor seemed devoid of anything remotely slippery. I took my glove off and felt around. It was wet and slightly sticky on the floor, like I was in a spill of soda pop. But when I glanced at my hand, it was dry. Granted, there was a bit of a double image from the headset trying to compensate for my hand and my glove being in two different places. Something wasn't right. Surely the staff would have cleaned up any spills on the floor, that's a huge liability issue right there. I looked up at the door. I was so close to finishing this. All I needed to do was get up and solve the code puzzle and I'd win. But an uneasy feeling nagged at me. I just had to check it out. So I took off my helmet to see what was really going on. The environment wasn't quite what I was expecting. All the walls looked like stage facades covered in green paint and geometric shapes. The ceiling was dark and very high, probably the entire height of the warehouse. The space felt very drab and gray otherwise. It was literally empty of anything else. Nothing like the highly detailed spaceship interior with all the blinking lights, cables, and compartments that I had just been seeing. Beneath me was a pool of blood. Unmistakable. It wasn't my blood, and I didn't notice anybody else nearby. Turning around, I could see that the blood streaked off in a direction as if something were dragged away. Oh, God, what happened here? Was there some sort of accident that we were totally oblivious to while we were immersed in the game? I put my helmet back on and was fully engaged in the virtual ship's visuals and audio once again. Hello? Is there anyone there? I spoke into the built-in microphone. Ship contamination will reach a terminal level in 16 minutes, the monotone voice responded. No, I mean anyone real. Can I speak to the staff? Something happened in here. Not in the game, in the warehouse. I think someone's been hurt. Several moments went by, and there was no response. The staff was supposed to be ready to answer any direct questions in case we wanted to call for one of our three hints on solving the scenario. They were also supposed to monitor us as we went through the game. In fact, they should have contacted me immediately when I removed the virtual reality helmet, since that was a breach of the rules. This left two possibilities. The first, that someone got injured and the staff came in and got them out. Maybe right now they were dealing with emergency responders and would return to let us know when the ambulance was gone, but that doesn't make sense. Even through the thick helmets, I would have heard sirens, and they certainly should have paused the game at the very least. The second possibility was much more concerning. The staff was incapacitated, and there was a killer in the warehouse with us. I tore off my helmet again as fast as I could. I was still alone in the silence. I focused on the cameras mounted on the walls and jumped up and down, waving and shouting, Hey, I need help in here! Before we put on the haptic suits, weighted boots, tactile gloves, and VR helmets, the staff informed us of the rules of the event no running or hitting other players, no taking off any gear, no pushing on the walls. They said if there was any issue to just say it out loud and the staff would respond. They also said that if the scenario was too intense, we could always leave by the door we came in through, which in the virtual world was represented by the outer airlock. However, if we were killed, our mics would be turned off and we were to proceed to the waiting area to watch our teammates try to complete the escape room before the time ran out. Sumika? Bree? Hello? Andrew? Jenny? I called out as I started to cautiously walk towards the waiting area. Royce? Uh, Scott? Guys? Initially I wasn't sure which way to go, but then I noticed the worn painted yellow arrow on the floor which must have pointed to the exit. It might have been easier to find with the helmet on as I knew where the outer hatch was in the ship, but there was no way I was going to put that back on right now and be blind to what was actually around me. Each time I encountered a turn in the plywood hallway, I'd carefully peer around the corner first. There was part of me that just wanted to push the walls over for a direct path, but I didn't want to make that much noise, and they were probably sturdier than they looked. I got a chill thinking back to what had happened in Sector 2 when I bumped into the unseen thing that moved away from me. Had the killer just been following me around, just out of reach, waiting for the right moment to get me? When I got to the waiting area, a series of benches behind a chain-link fence similar to a baseball dugout, I wished that I had still been wearing the helmet. In the virtual environment, I would have been looking at an observation window that showcased the oblong planet of Haumea with its two moons and icy ring in magnificent detail. Instead, I was looking, in horror, at a pile of bodies, that of my friends and fellow players Each of them had heavy blood-soaked gashes in their torsos or about their necks. Each of them pale and lifeless. They obviously had not suffered the same death as they appeared to have in the game, where each had been highlighted with over-the-top computer-generated effects. Somehow this looked more stark, more ruthless, cold. After several moments, the emotion of it hit me. It was all so morbid and unbelievable. So many senseless deaths that I had likely witnessed firsthand, even laughed at, without comprehending, now mutating from sensational fantasy to grim reality. I couldn't even focus on the faces, just the bodies, haphazardly slumped against each other. And then I saw Brianna, her uninhabited eyes staring off to nowhere. i had heard her scream when she was attacked. I'd even questioned why it sounded so real. She was no actress, yet I didn't stop to check on her, the real her. I just kept running from the fake alien, completely unaware that something worse was lurking invisibly nearby. Tears welled up in my eyes, and I could feel my throat go completely dry. Oh, God, Brianna, my best friend for almost two decades, was dead. And so was our friend Sumika. And so were those other nice people who we had just met today, Jenny, Scott, and even Andrew, who was only annoying in that he had played this scenario before, or at least one of the versions of it. They cycled different puzzles within each scenario type, I'm told. Five dead bodies, all stabbed while they thought they were facing a pretend alien threat, all extinguished likely before their brains could process what was really happening to them. I wonder if their first thought had been that the haptic suits worked a little too well with their false sensation of impact. Brianna, Sumika, Jenny, Scott, Andrew. Wait, that wasn't all of us. There should be one more body here. What had happened to Royce? Royce, who bragged about the number of times he had beaten all of the escape rooms here. Royce, who had seemed agitated in the briefing room, impatient to get started with the game while the rest of us were still learning the rules and listening to the backstory. Royce, who had beelined to the exit at the first sign of the alien. Where the hell was Royce? Before taking another step, I kicked off the 15-pound boots and shimmied out of the haptic suit. I didn't like being in just my underwear and becoming the horror cliché that the game emulated, but I wasn't going to be arbitrarily slowed down at this point. I sprinted for the clearly-labeled exit and pulled on the door. It didn't budge, locked from the other side. Either the killer was sealed in here with me, or he was out in the staff area, watching me. I couldn't decide which of those options I liked least, but neither seemed good. I've seen a good deal of the warehouse now, so I put my bet that he was out there dealing with the staff, or I was very lucky that he saw me figure things out and just ran for it. I wasn't going to count on that last one being true. I looked back at the bodies in the waiting area one more time and then decided I needed to put them out of my mind until I knew I was safe, or I would probably be joining them. Oh, Brianna and Sumika, why did this happen? I'm sorry I didn't realize what was going on sooner. My options were, as far as I could tell, to look for a way to defend myself and confront the killer, to hide and wait for the game to end, or to finish the puzzle in the game and force the game-over door to open sooner. I didn't see anything right away that looked like a viable weapon, and I doubted hiding would help since the whole warehouse was rigged with cameras and sensors, but the thought of putting the helmet back on just did not feel like a good idea. Then I heard a voice, small and staticky coming from below me. I jumped back before it occurred to me that it was coming from my helmet. This wasn't the scuba mask-style VR headset of home units. It more resembled a motorcycle helmet. It needed to be durable, given the amount of commercial reuse, and at the same time needed to wholly immerse the player into the experience. I pulled it closer to my head, without putting it on, and listened as best I could. Can you hear me? A tiny voice rasped over the headset. It was hard to make out without actually putting the helmet back on. I turned it around so that my mouth was near the bottom and said, Yes, I can. Who is this? And then rotated it back to my ear. My name is Doug. I'm one of the staff, he whispered. Doug, get me out of here. People have been murdered, I shouted into the helmet. I know. He killed my co-worker. He stabbed me too, but I played dead. The police are on their way. Great. Get me out of here, I repeated. He said something while I was talking that was too hard to hear. I couldn't effectively talk to him and listen at the same time. I looked around, slowly taking in my surroundings, looking for the slightest bit of movement and listening for the tiniest sound. When I was certain there was no one immediately near me, I took a deep breath and put the helmet back on my head. The graphics were weird now since I was standing on the outside of the observation window. I don't think the headset was meant to see the backside of the game geometry. I stepped forward and was fully on the spaceship again. "'I didn't hear you. What did you just say?' I demanded, rather than asked. "'I don't think the airlock exit is safe. Yeah, and it's locked from your side. Open the game exit.' "'I can't. Only winning or losing the scenario will do that,' he said, and then added. "'There's a fire exit at the back of the building, but it's hard to find unless you know where to look. Can you talk over the main speakers instead? I don't like being in this helmet.' "'No!' I don't want him to know I'm still alive. I can see everything on the monitors. I can lead you to the fire exit and warn you if I see him near you, Doug whispered. I hated this plan. Hated it. This was somehow worse than being in the ocean with a great white shark circling somewhere underneath you. I was deaf and blind and not even seeing the same ocean as the shark. But what choice did I have? I held my hands on the rim of the helmet so I could eject it at the first warning from Doug. Okay which way in the ship do I go? You'll want to head left past the engine room. When you get in the elevator, just go straight. It doesn't actually go down. The floor just rotates and rumbles a little to give the illusion of an elevator. It just turns you to a new section of the set. I had figured that's how it worked. I didn't think they had actually built a multi-level underground to this warehouse. It was just a clever reuse of space. They probably relied heavily on it for the maze and the minotaur scenario to make the fake labyrinth seem huge. Okay, I'm heading that way. Do you see him? Do you see any movement on the monitors anywhere? I implored. No, just keep heading there. As soon as you get past the elevator, just walk straight for about 20 feet, turn past the paint shelves, and you'll be at the fire door. I quickened my pace. It was so much easier to get around the ship without those damn weighted boots. They did a decent job simulating magnetic shoes, but I am so relieved to be out of them now. The most frustrating part was I kept involuntarily slowing down to listen for someone coming up behind me, but that was pointless because the helmet blocked out most real-world sounds. Regardless, I should have at least asked Doug to turn off the ship alarm, as that didn't help with my panic level at all. The whole time I moved I kept trying not to think about the others being knifed by someone inches away from them that they just couldn't perceive. I wanted to kick out in random directions as I went towards the ship's elevator, just to reassure myself that no one was near me, but I think I was too afraid of what I would do if my foot actually came in contact with something. I didn't mind the image of me flailing around half-naked like an idiot, but it might put me off balance and I definitely didn't want to end up falling flat on my back. So I held my arms in tight to my body as I went, ready to punch out in any direction at the slightest indication of trouble. When I approached the elevator, the panel indicated that it was three levels below me. It instantly activated and started slowly counting up to my level. This was dumb. I was standing here, helpless, waiting for an elevator to arrive that didn't exist. I didn't even know if there was a real elevator door in front of me, or if I could just walk through where it appeared. After a short time, the door opened. There was nothing inside, so I went straight in. Doug, I'm in the elevator, but there's just a wall here. It's not real. Just walk through it. I'll meet you out back in a minute. Don't leave the monitors, I pleaded. I don't see anyone near you. I'm starting to get worried he may be out here with me. I'll still be on Mike and it will only take me a minute to get back there. A minute was a long time to wait, completely alone, blind, deaf, exposed. Fine, I said, and then immediately removed my helmet. To hell with wearing that thing anymore. I flipped the helmet to have the open bottom as close to my ear as I could in case he said something more. There was no one around me, no sound and no movements. I was outside the temporary walls and in an open space that must have surrounded the whole game area. There were dollies, ladders, and other tools for readjusting the set facades. Ahead of me was a large metal door with a red exit sign over it. Another sign said that an alarm would go off if the door was opened. Good. A real alarm would be a welcome sound over the annoying, fake contamination alarm. Or bad, actually. The door alarm would make my exact position clear to the killer. But did that matter? freedom lay beyond the door that and doug safety in numbers well safety in numbers when the numbers were aware they were in actual danger and could see the threats coming before opening it i wanted to make sure doug got there safely i desperately wanted out of the building but it would be quite the shock to think you were about to be free only to find another body and a knife suddenly in your gut perhaps i was too wrapped up in the horror cliche state of mind now but then again so was the killer it seemed he had planned every death to coincide with the deaths in the game, each one to be a surprise. It's like he enjoyed being part of these horror tropes. That made me pause. I put the helmet back on again. The killer was Royce, wasn't it? I asked. Was that one of the other players? Doug responded, a little out of breath but still rasping. I, I don't know their names. Surely Doug would have seen Royce before the game and recognized him when, Wait. When we arrived, we were greeted by two staffers of virtual escape experiences, VEX for short. One was female and the other was gender neutral. Neither were a Doug type. And this guy was trying very hard to maintain that raspy, I've just been stabbed voice, but his tone didn't seem to indicate he was suffering or even afraid for that matter. I'm here. You can open the door now, he said. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Royce. You would remember him. He was a cowardly weasel of a guy. Don't remember him. Open the door. He claimed he played games here all the time, bragged about how good he was at them. You would have known him. Silence. But he must have been a liar. Clearly he wasn't smart enough to beat these games. The idiot died in such a stupid way right off the bat. More silence. I could feel that the person on the other end wanted to say something but was holding back. He isn't even smart enough to fool me, I said with conviction. Is he, Royce? I'm going to kill you so hard. The voice no longer had the raspy quality. My mind went into overgear. Royce was outside this door waiting with a very sharp knife. It would take him at least two minutes to get all the way around the outside of the building, through the lobby, and to the airlock door, which was the only way he could get to me. Or at least the only way for about ten minutes or so. I almost asked the computer for a time check before the contamination caused the game to automatically fail and pop the door, but decided against it. If I could keep him here long enough, I might have just enough time to get to the cargo bay door, finish the puzzle, and escape through the game over door. I turned and quietly walked back to the ship interior. Just tell me why, Royce? Why did you kill my friends? Open the door, AJ. Why did you do it? Were you bullied in school? Come outside and I'll tell you. I turned a corner and could see the cargo door at the end, the manual and symbols on the floor where I had fallen. I popped my helmet off for a second to look around and then quickly put it back on. While I was fairly certain he was still at the back door, I didn't know that for a fact. I could be in danger of being ambushed like the other players if I wasn't careful. Did your father beat you? You're just trying to stall me. I am smart, you know, he said in an unnervingly calm voice. The woman who works here turn you down for a date? Shut up. That was it. You kept coming back here over and over again, playing every scenario VEX made just to see if she would notice you. Shut up. I started punching in the computer codes, careful to concentrate on the puzzle, but continuing talking normally at the same time. This would have been a difficult task when it was just a game, but luckily Andrew had given us a spoiler on how to crack the final code. Sorry I doubted you, Andrew. And despite how good you got at the games she just didn't like you you weren't worth her attention so you decided to destroy her place of work and kill people then she would finally notice you right i am going to kill your face what did that even mean just a few more codes and the escape pod door would be open the game would be over and i would be free wait andrew gave one other spoiler In some versions of the game scenario, there was a final jump scare where another alien appeared just as the escape pod jettisoned. I can't believe Royce would have anticipated that, but again, I am not going to be taken by surprise. I prepared myself. As soon as I type the final code, I'm going to take off the helmet and get ready to chuck it at Royce if he is standing on the other side of this door. Physically, I won't be a match for him and his knife, but maybe I can turn the element of surprise around on him if this was indeed his plan. But then something entirely unexpected happened. The helmet went dark and the words loading appeared on the screen. The ship melted away, including the warning alarms and hum of the engines. In the next moment, I was standing in a brightly lit forest that shimmered with glowing bugs and floating fairies. In my hand was a fiery sword, and I saw when I looked down that I was wearing some kind of skimpy leather armor. Welcome to Glittervale, the Forbidden Forest, a majestic voice echoed. You and your party must seek the hidden cave to the Dungeon of Doom and face off against the mighty Lich King Moranak before the town of Brynville succumbs to the evil sorcerer's curse. What the hell? He rebooted the scenario. The entire puzzle has been reset with an entirely different theme. It would take an hour with a full team of players to beat this escape room. He just destroyed any chance I had of getting out through the game over door. This meant that he was in the control room. I pushed a dumpster against the fire door. You've got nowhere to run, he said, though his voice betrayed that he himself was running. He was heading to me. I had to take a chance that he couldn't see the monitors anymore. I sprinted toward the forest's path back to town, which had previously been an airlock to outer space. I popped off the helmet and slid behind the door just as it was opening. Royce came running out, knife in hand, heading straight toward where I had been standing a few seconds ago. He didn't notice me behind the door, and I took that opportunity to hurl the helmet at him with all of my might. It struck him in the back of the legs, and he stumbled forward, but quickly caught his balance and spun around just in time to see me leap through the door and slam it shut firmly behind me. The door shook as he rammed against it and began pounding furiously. It was securely locked. I was safe. I headed to the control room. Inside, the two staffers were tied up against the wall with duct tape gags over their mouths. Obviously, he had wanted an audience for his vile actions. I quickly untied one of them and then started on the other. No words needed to be spoken between us as the first pulled off her gag, hopped to the business phone, and began dialing 911. Open the goddamn door! I heard Royce yell through the speakers. On the monitor, I saw him running back and forth, full of rage, trying to bust the door open, but having no luck. I pressed the button on the mic to the loudspeaker in the warehouse. Put on the helmet, Royce, I said. You've got until the police arrive to beat the Dungeon of Doom. You bragged about doing speedruns through these things, didn't you? Good luck, asshole. I shut the speaker off so we didn't have to hear him screaming. While we waited in silence for the authorities, I thought about so many of the science fiction movies I've seen and how, like today, the aliens had never been the true threat. Kevin R. O'Hara enjoys employment as a creative director in the video game industry. He originally hails from Spencerport, New York, but promptly moved to the West Coast after graduating from Ithaca College's film school. He has worked various roles in the film and video game industry over the years, most of which involved creative writing and game design. He currently resides near Seattle, Washington, with his lovely wife, awe-inspiring daughter, and energetic hand. Find him on Twitter at Jolted Kev. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction Newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.